Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal, but fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. The word of the Lord. Well, good morning. I'm one of the old men in this church. Uh, we feel like we haven't been fairly represented, so I stand here before you today. From Zach's point of view, he wants you to see what he will look like in about six weeks. Um, I have really enjoyed uh, studying this passage that's before us today. I, I mean, we could spend years in this one section of Romans 12. Uh, fortunately for you, I only have about 25 minutes, okay? So uh, we'll spend uh, that time uh, looking into God's Word. Let's pray. Father, we're so grateful uh, for the opportunity as brothers and sisters in Christ to join together in worshiping You, in bringing glory to Your name, uh, looking into Your good Word, uh, being convicted, uh, being corrected, and trained in righteousness. Lord, thank You that that's what happens when we look into this book and Your Spirit works in us. So Father, this is Your time. Please speak to us now in Christ's name. Amen. About three years ago, it would be three years this Christmas, Vicki and I waltzed into this church. Uh, we kind of determined that we thought we were going to settle in Rockwall, Texas, uh, to be near some of those people back there on the road with Vicki, my grandkids, and uh, who live in Lake Highlands. And, uh, you know, we made the decision, though, you know, we need to go visit that PCA church in Rockwall to see if it's a fit, to see if it's a place we would feel comfortable with. And it's still, it's, we still feel kind of new here, you know? Uh, but we walked, waltzed into this church, and we were looking for a couple of things in particular. One is, is the teaching in line with the Scripture? Is, is the Bible taught, believed here? And is it practiced in community? Do these people love each other? Do they care for each other? And so for several weeks, we kind of bopped in and out, and uh, finally we bought a house, but we visited this church. And we certainly, you know, number one, lined up well. You know, we heard Ryan, we heard Zach. And, you know, we thought, man, this is a great place. They teach the Word. But the other thing we observed 
was how people flocked to each other and loved seeing each other and stayed after the service was over. To me, that's a great indicator of true care and concern for one another. And so now, three years hence, we've been the recipient of that love so many times, I can't count it. And, you know, but we're not there yet as a congregation. We're not perfect. And so this passage is going to speak to us today about observable love among believers and believers with the wider world of unbelief. Uh, Francis Schaeffer is one of my favorite authors. He influenced me greatly when I first became a believer. And um, he commented on John 13, 34, and 35, and John 17, 21, Jesus' high priestly prayer. And let me just read those two passages to you and tune in with me with your ears and your heart. John 13, 35 says this, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. Okay, that's pretty powerful, right? This is how people are going to know as they observe you that you're one of Christ's disciples, that you show love to your brothers and sisters in Christ. And then John 17, 21 in Jesus' high priestly prayer he makes this comment, and he's praying to the Father. And he's saying, Father, thank you for all those that you've given me, and I have this prayer for them, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that, listen to this, that the world may believe that you sent me. Now, how critical is that? <laughs> That's how people come to belief. That's what the Spirit uses. It, Schaefer referred to this, these passages as the final apologetic, the best defense of the faith. Wrote it, put it in a little book called The Mark of the Christian. And that's what he's referring to here, that the mark of the Christian is that they have love for their brothers and sisters and that that's exhibited and observable. Schaefer said this, Our love will not be perfect, but it must be substantial enough for the world to be able to observe, or it does not fit into the structure of John 13 and 17. And if the world does not observe this among true Christians, the world has the right to make two awful judgments, which these verses indicate. Number one, that we're not Christians. And number two, that Christ was not sent by the Father. Wow. He goes on to say in that little book, Biblical orthodoxy without compassion is surely the ugliest thing in the world. If we know Christ, then we need to love each other. And that's what this passage that we're going to be looking at exhorts us to do over and over again. As you know, this book, to, this letter that Paul wrote to the Romans 
He was writing to a, a church that was not popular in the wider culture. Everything that the church believed was counter to the culture. Uh, the Christian ethic was not adhered to or approved of. And so they were a minority. They were persecuted. And so he writes this Magna Carta, as it's been called, Romans, this doctrinal book, to lay out that we are elected, justified, sanctified, ultimately going to be glorified. And he's, he's laid this doctrinal foundation and then in Romans 12 that Zach uh, taught on last week, he calls us to be living sacrifices and uh, not conformed to this world, but transformed by the renewing of our minds. And so that's what this passage tells us, is what that should look like as we exercise our spiritual gifts, as we go out into the wider world of unbelief. What are we supposed to look like? What, what does it look like with Christ, in Christ, as Christians with our boots on the ground? Who are we to be? How should we live? Well, Romans 12, 9 through 21, and uh, Mark is going to teach you a little bit more on the latter verses in this chapter again next week. But I'm going to touch on these latter verses as well, these uh, 14 through 21. But basically, this is divided into two pieces, these exhortations, these calls to action. The first set of verses, verses 9 through 13, basically have to do with life in the family of God. As brothers and sisters, how we're to relate to one another. And then 14 through 21, although have application to our relationships in the church, goes beyond that to the world. and has to do with retaliation and avenging yourself and those sorts of things that, that we run into in a fallen world. So, let's, let's dig into this. Sheldon Van Auken said this, the strongest argument for Christianity is Christians. The strongest argument against Christianity is Christians. <laughs> so we want to be the kind of Christians that John 13, 35, John 17, 21, and Romans 12, 9 through 21 tell us to be. So there's all these hard-hitting you know, exhortations, calls to action, one, bam, 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 right after the other. And he begins with this one. Let love be without hypocrisy. I was reading R.C. Sproul's uh, uh, commentary on this this week. And in that passage, he said, what it's referring to is not play acting. Being genuine. Um... The word, the Greek word is hypocritos, hypocrite. <laughs> Don't be a hypocrite in the way you love others. Don't smile at them and hate them in your heart. Let love be genuine. Abhor or hate what is evil. Uh, I want you to think about this as we go through all these exhortations. 
every exhortation, every time God commands us to do something, every time He calls us to action in the Scripture, it's a reflection of God's character. It's His attributes that He's wanting to see lived out in us. That's how, you know, Romans 8 talks about being conformed to Christ's image. That's what He's about. And so every one of these exhortations it has to do with God's character. 1 Peter 1, verses 13 through 15, talk about, or commands us to be holy as Christ is holy, as God is holy. And so every one of these, if you think about it as we go through this, has to do with God's character. It's a reflection of Him. He's wanting to see mirrored in us. Abhor or hate what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. And the word for hold fast is the Greek word kalao. And kalao means to stick like glue. To cling to, to adhere to what is good. Make that our goal. Love one another with brotherly affection. Um, outdo one another in showing honor. Are you ever jealous of another believer? You know, they get more attention than you do. They, you know, people like them more than you do, than, than, than they do you. Uh, they get some kind of honor, and you think, man, I don't know about him. You know, I wish it was me. You know, it, those kind of sinful thoughts can intervene if we don't watch ourselves. But Philippians 2 reminds us to show preference to one another. To be glad when somebody else does well. When, when life is going well for them. Love one another with brotherly affection. You know, here's the cool thing about being a believer. Randy Letourneau is my brother in Christ. Zach Pummel is my brother in Christ. And in a way, that family supersedes my biological family in importance. It's cool how he calls us from different backgrounds, different places. We have people here from New York, from Louisiana, from Alabama, even from Mississippi. You know, thanks for welcoming the rednecks into your midst. But, you know, isn't that a great thing? And, and the words here, it's used twice in this passage in the Greek, is basically the word Philadelphia. You know, they call Philadelphia the city of brotherly love, and they're putting together two Greek words, phileo and storge. And they both, it's, ba it's basically saying love, love, <laughs> family love. So, love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. So, let, let's crack, crack this open a little bit further. What does love mean? In practical terms, it means seeking the best interest of the other party. In a nutshell, it's seeking the best interest for the other party. Wanting the best for them. Caring for them in that way. Verse 11, do not be slothful in zeal. 
Be fervent in spirit and serve the Lord. You know, Romans 10, verse 2, Paul saying that it, concerning Israel, he said they had zeal, right? But no knowledge. Well, the thing you see wed together, married in Scripture always, throughout the New Testament in particular, is this blending of truth and love. They were never meant to be separate components. You know? We, we should be zealous for truth, but also zealous for loving one another, for caring for one another. Born out of our doctrine should be our practice. You know? That's, that's what it should, how it should be. That it's not just knowledge, because knowledge alone puffs up, 1 Corinthians 13 says. But knowledge of Christ and what He's done for us, man, should propel us into care for one another. Be fervent in spirit. And the word used there for fervent is zeo. And it means bubbling, boiling, you know, in our care for one another. Passionate to pursue the care of the body of Christ. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. How can you rejoice in hope? Well, we know what the end game is, do we not? We know that Christ is the ultimate victor. We know that He has given us a secure relationship in Him. Eternal security if we know Christ as our Savior and Lord. We can rejoice even in the midst of trials. John 16.33, Jesus said, in this world, you have trouble. You can count on it. You're going to have trials and tribulation. But take heart, because I have overcome the world. That's cool. That gives us hope. We can rejoice in that. You know, look, I'll be 70 years old. Don't tell anybody. In February. And here's the thing that I've noticed among my peers. A bunch of us came to know the Lord. Our junior, senior years in high school, we're still friends. We're Facebook friends. We call each other. You know, we talk to each other. But what I've noticed is what can happen with you through the hard knocks of life is you can become sour. You can hold fast to doctrine, but in your personality, you can turn into an old evangelical sourpuss pretty easily. Things haven't turned out just like you wanted them to. There have been some difficulties in your life, some heartache. And you can either take that in and absorb it and let that define your life and your world and life view, or you can pray and ask God to give you proper perspective. Jesus said in Luke 18.1, He said, I want men to always pray and not faint. Don't give up. 1 Thessalonians 5.17 tells us to, Paul says, pray without ceasing. 
And that's literally, in the Greek, uh, akin to this, praying with the consistency of a hacking cough. All the time. Keep it going. As you walk through the day, as you go to bed at night, when you sit, walk, stand, Scripture says, keep Him in the forefront of your mind. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. You're going to have them. But be constant in prayer. So within the body of Christ, all this stuff's supposed to be happening. These are the thoughts that ought to permeate our minds, that ought to propel us into action. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. These were not necessarily people who were wealthy that Paul was writing to. Again, sort of a persecuted minority. That meant they lost jobs. meant they were not able to gain, garner favor with the government and so forth. But he's saying to them, and he's saying to us, open your pocketbooks, open your front door, and let people in. Edith Schaefer used to say, every door on a Christian's house needs to have hinges so that it opens up and lets people in and welcomes people in, but it also needs to have a lock so that at times you can be alone with God, with your family, and that sort of thing. But there's a lot in the Scriptures that has to do with opening our homes to people. You know, some of the best building time in my life as a believer was with a couple of couples in the church we started out in. And I was a struggling believer. I had a lot of doubts. I was, you know, getting bombarded at college with you know, ideas that were contrary to the Scripture, and I was trying to pull all that together. And these people would invite us into their house and just sit down and love us and feed us and answer our questions, and it was transformational. So, you know, I think in a way, Scripture is challenging us to do the same. Challenging us to open our hearts and our pocketbooks, and our homes, that we may contribute to the needs of the saints. Okay, and at this point, there's a little bit of a transition in this passage. Verse 14 says, uh, and starts to move in the direction of unbelievers. How are we to relate to them? Again, there are also commands in this that apply, or exhortations that apply to our body life as well among Christians. Bless those who persecute you. And I don't know how that hits you. <laughs> I don't like that. You know? Do you like that naturally? You know, I played sports in high school. And, you know, I played basketball, of all things. And I was the point guard on my high school basketball team. And one of the messages I got was, Foster, you are short. 
So you're going to have to be twice as tough, fight twice as hard to do well on the basketball court. And I kind of carried that with me as a badge of honor, you know. Unfortunately, it caused me a lot of trouble, got in some fights and that kind of thing. Even with my future brother-in-law, <laughs> played for another school. So, you know, but that's not, the things we're talking about in this passage, they are not natural reactions. It's, this is calling on a supernatural equipping to do these sorts of things, right? Somebody hurts you, you want to hurt them back. That's our natural, sinful, old man kind of way of operating. That's the way we want to go about it. But he says instead, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. I was in uh, Nairobi, Kenya number of years ago, Mission to the World had asked me to go to Nairobi to analyze the street child problem there and to see how they might address that. And so went there and uh, was there for about a week and then I flew over Lake Victoria into Entebbe Airport in Kampala, Uganda uh, because I'd been asked to go up there and a guy picks me up at the airport He's driving along, and I try to strike up a conversation with him, and I say, you know, tell me about yourself, tell me about your family. And he said, I have no family. And, you know, I thought, uh-oh, I've asked the wrong question, you know. And he said, as a matter of fact, I lost my father, my mother, my brothers and sisters to Idi Amin. His men came into my house and hacked them to death before my, my eyes. And he said he was hiding, but he saw it from a closet. And I was pretty stunned when he told me that. And then he added this. He said, but two of those, two of those men are now my brothers in Christ. And they're in my church, Westminster Church here in Kampala. And... I said, wow, you know, how do you, how do you handle that? And he looked at me, and look, I'm seminary trained, multiple seminaries. He looked at me and he said, David, have you, have you not heard of Ephesians 4.32? Be tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as Christ has forgiven you. He made this comment to me. He said, I did far worse to Christ than those men did to my family. I can forgive them because I've done far worse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Hebrews 13.3 puts it this way. We're to empathize with people in difficulty. Remember those in prison as though in prison with them. We're to put ourselves in the shoes of our brothers and sisters and those in the world. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty or proud, but associate with the lowly. Never be conceited. C.S. Lewis put it this way. He said, you've never encountered a mere mortal 
Everybody's created in God's image, has value, dignity, and worth. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to what is honorable in the sight of all. So he's kind of hitting this over and over again. Don't retaliate. Don't seek revenge. Vengeance is mine. I'll take care of it. Again, not natural, supernatural way of responding. If possible, live peaceably with all. I like the realism of Scripture. Sometimes you can do everything you can do to try to live peaceably and people won't let you. But he's saying, look, I'll take care of that on my side of the equation. But you on your side of the equation should seek peace with everyone. Never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. All right. You know, that, that makes me think, okay, there's been a shift here. You know, on a cursory reading of this passage, all right, I can get a little revenge. I'll dump some burning coals on this person's head who's wronged me. But that's not the correct interpretation of this passage. What he's saying there is, you're committing them to God in His holiness, in His wrath. And hopefully, the end result will be to heal that person spiritually, not to hurt them. So it's not an excuse uh, or, or way of getting revenge. It's a way of letting God take control of the situation. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And that goes back to that first passage in verse 9. Abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. You know, three years later, Vicki and I sit here, members of this church, uh, we've been able to uh, see how you love one another, how you've loved us. And it's a satisfying thing to see. And I pray that it will continue. And I pray that we would embrace the people that Zach prayed for today, those that are coming from another congregation, that as we integrate these two flocks, that it will be a beautiful thing in God's eyes. Let's pray. Father, I thank You for Your Holy Spirit who can take these things and apply them to our individual lives. In Christ's name, Amen.